Good morning, everybody. It's great to uh, have you here, those of you who are in person, and for those who are uh, coming in virtually, it's, uh, it's great to worship the Lord on this beautiful Sunday. Uh, we are working through the, uh, the book of Ezekiel. We had a tough passage last week. It was a passage of the vision that God had given Ezekiel that really uh, pictured the judgment and destruction that God was going to bring upon the nation for their sins of idolatry and violence and bloodshed and, and immorality. And, and really the goal for last week was to uh, help us understand what is behind the mind of God uh, in what is written into the text, um, these, these very harsh scenes of destruction where he is describing uh, the, the destruction, the killing of, of, of old men and women, of young uh, children and, and women, uh, vulnerable people, and, and really the entire, the entire nation. And so it was a challenging passage, and I really wanted to focus on um, what was going on in the nation, what was going on in God's mind that would cause this kind of judgment. Today I want to spend a little bit of time addressing what would it be like if you are in that type of a situation. Um, you know, we, we, we understand that, that God gave law to Israel and that he expected them to follow that law. We see that Israel, over the course of many generations and centuries, um, rebelled against God and, and broke their covenant with him and violated uh, the laws that he gave them. And we see uh, various acts of judgment throughout Israel's history uh, in efforts to discipline them and in efforts to get them to repent of their, of their sin and of their idolatry and transgression and disobedience and rebellion. Um, in these efforts that God had for them to really repent and to cry out and return and return to Him, um, but so there's we're kind of at this place where um, we're between judgment and repentance, and you know I've, I've I've structured this series so that at the very beginning we we made a connection between the circumstances that were happening in ancient Israel that Ezekiel was speaking to, um, and our time with the idea and understanding and, and vision that Israel was collapsing, and in fact it did collapse. And I wanted to connect that to, to where we're at, but then also to look at what had caused Israel's collapse. And there were six things that we looked at, and then last week, uh, the judgment that God was bringing. Next week, we're going to look at what it means to repent, and what it means to turn back to God in the face of discipline and judgment, but I really wanted to take a week to look at what is happening um, to Ezekiel, to the nation, and, and really what happens to us when we find ourselves to be in this, um, in this place where we are experiencing uh, judgment, or we're experiencing discipline, or we're experiencing the consequences of our sins that we commit, as well as the consequences of the sins that others commit against us. Um, what, is it, what is it like? Because there are several passages, and we've read some of them this morning, that are really drawing out 
the, the, depth, the depths of emotional pain that Ezekiel and Israel were facing today. So that's what I want to look at today. What is, it, what is it like to be in that place where, where you see and are experiencing this judgment and this discipline upon us and the emotional pain that that creates? The passages that we read from this morning, the first two, were are, are passages early on in the the book of Ezekiel, and they are passages that that are describing the visions that God initially gave Ezekiel when when Ezekiel was called to this ministry of prophesying to to the nation, and we see that that um, um, we didn't read it this morning, but just the context. God called Ezekiel, and Ezekiel was given a scroll. He needed to read the scroll, but then he was also commanded to eat and digest the scroll. So you get, at the beginning, Ezekiel taking upon himself the full weight and understanding, literally digesting uh, the vision of judgment that God was going to bring upon Israel. And he describes it, there are four terms over the course of, of chapters 2 and 3 that describe the emotional state that he was in. He said that these were, these were words of lamentation. Now, lament, so the lamentation, mourning, woe, and overwhelm. And so I want to just kind of grow our comprehension of what these words literally mean. So lamentations are, are um, songs that express profound grief and sorrow. Then he uses the term mourning, and mourning, to mourn is to express um, with a guttural sound, with a, with a sound deep from within you, a sound of pain and sadness. So you have these sounds coming forth from your body that are these deep guttural sounds, and they're also sounds that are forming into songs, and they all, all these expressions of grief and sorrow and pain and sadness. And then he uses the term woe, which is wailing. And so you have, you have songs, you have screams, you have wailing, you have these deep guttural um, expressions, and, and this fourth word that he uses is overwhelmed, which is the feeling of being defeated and devastated, which obviously robs you of any sort of motivation to do anything. And so this is where, this is where Ezekiel was at, just upon reading the judgments, overwhelmed and lamenting and mourning and, and expressing woe in all of these various physical and vocal expressions. As I was preparing for this, I came upon the, um, the writing of Simone Weil, W-E-I-L, and she has this um, essay called Affliction and the Love of God. And really what is going on here that Ezekiel is describing for himself and what the people of Israel were feeling was affliction was affliction. And she, she argues that affliction is different than, than lesser forms of suffering. She says, affliction is the uprooting of life. 
a more or less protracted equivalent to death, rendered irresistibly present in the soul by impairment or the immediate apprehension of physical agony. It is not truly affliction unless an event that grasps a life and uproots it, attacks it directly or indirectly in all its parts, social, psychological, and physical. Affliction grips the soul and marks it to depths with a mark belonging only to itself, the mark of slavery. And so she, she's essentially saying that there, there are forms of suffering that get to the point to where you feel enslaved to the pain. It may be psychological, it may be social, it may be, but, it, but it, it necessarily has an effect on your body. See, at this point in Ezekiel, in, the, in this book, Ezekiel hadn't experienced any direct suffering. He will. He's going to get beat up and slandered and and all kinds of things are going to happen to Ezekiel over the course of his years in prophesying to the nation. But at this point, he has just read something. And the, the weight of what he has read causes, caused in him this state of affliction. And obviously, the people throughout the nation in suffering under the judgment of God are going to feel this, this physical weight, this enslaving power of pain that they feel that they have no control over. So this morning, I don't want to address suffering that we have no control over. I don't want to address affliction that we have no control over. Uh, you know, somebody cl close to us, somebody that we love may die, and we have no control over that, but it still causes affliction. We can experience affliction with chronic pain that, again, we had no responsibility for. There, there are things in our lives that can cause this level of pain and affliction, um, but I want to talk this morning about affliction that's due to our sin, pain and suffering and sorrow that's due to our sin and the sins that others commit against us, because this is what Israel was experiencing. This is what Ezekiel was experiencing. They were experiencing affliction that was a result of and the consequence of their own sin and the sins of others against them. And so if we think about what kind of sins do we commit that brings on this kind of affliction to ourselves. And so let's just look first at what, what things that we do that cause this type of affliction. I think that we can engage in lifestyles, immoral lifestyles that affect our relationships, our ability to experience love from others that affect our, our loving of other people. They, they affect our work, so it hinders and affects the way that we are to make a living, which provides for ourselves and provides for others. There are lifestyles that we can engage in that affect our health. All of these things, because of the long-term consequences of our relationships, our work life, our health, uh, can cause this kind of affliction that enslaves us to a place of uh, emotional, social, and physical pain. Sexual immorality, laziness, dishonesty, insubordination, gluttony, substance abuse, all of these things 
can lead to great affliction if they are not brought under control, if they are not put to death, as the scriptures would say. And, and usually these kinds of things start small and slow. You know, if a, if, a, if a marriage breaks up or a family dissolves because of unfaithfulness or betrayal and adultery, it, 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 it all of a sudden just didn't happen. There are usually things that lead to that kind of betrayal, things that last for years. Small lies and deceptions, small betrayals. Things like incarceration, which would obviously be an enslaving affliction. Things that have, they've, it's the, the control over our lives have been, has been taken away. You know, we don't, people that, that find themselves incarcerated aren't usually there because they got caught the first time they did something. It's long years of habits and an undisciplined lifestyle that leads to it. Long-term addictions and, the, and, the, physical, and the, the strain on our physical health that long-term addictions can have. Long-term addictions, again, they don't start out as immediate long-term addictions. We, they start out slowly. They start out slowly. These are, they are minor transgressions that lead to this, these greater experiences of enslaving affliction. But then there are also sins that others commit against us. And so that really a lot of these things that we've talked about, um, as a perpetrator, we can be the victims. And things, our, our lives may just blow up because of sins that others have committed against us. We have no idea what's going on. We have no idea, or we may have no idea of the slow, steady progress of sin in the lives of people that we love and that are close to us and whose lives affect us, and then things blow up. We could be a victim of oppression. We could be bullied at school. We could have a spouse that is oppressive. Rapists, these kinds of things can bring upon physical and emotional and psychological pain that enslaves us. Betrayals such as adultery or abandonment or neglect. People that are close to us, our most important social relationships, our families, our close friends, maybe church family, betray us and this breaks up the relationships that we were depending upon for our own well-being. Theft. Theft can undercut years of work and savings and push us back years into starting fresh if we've been robbed. Or there could be institutional betrayal. The government, healthcare, law enforcement, even churches and church leadership. These institutions that were created to bring us steadfastness and stability in our lives and for our, for our cities and for our nations can, can betray us and hurt us. And then we find ourselves in a place where we're really unable to trust the, the institutions around us. People can slander us, which destroys our reputations, which may affect our families, it may affect our work and the opportunities that we have. And so... Sins that we commit and sins that others commit against us. And Israel was experiencing these kinds of sins. There were perpetrators and there were victims. There was no justice because the judges and the politicians and the leaders and the nations were all subject to, to bribes and to corruption. So there's no justice for the bloodshed and evil and violence and the breaking of laws. And so you have, you have envy, you have retaliation, you have people going at each other for the sins that have been committed against them. 
all sorts and violence that all sorts of injustice and violence then really permeated the culture of Israel and we can experience these kinds of things in our lives as well but if we look at i mean we've we've talked about the kind of natural consequences that occur as a result of our own sin and the sins of others against us but but Biblically, in the book of Ezekiel and throughout both Old and New Testaments, we know that, that there are other things going on than just the natural consequences. So the natural consequences of Israel's weaknesses and sins uh, obviously put them in a state where they were susceptible to attack from other nations, and that's what happened. Assyria came and waged war against them and laid siege against them and took the, the, the northern ten tribes captive never came back. Babylon laid siege to, to Judah and to the city of Jerusalem and completely destroyed it. And throughout its late history, there were a lot of nations that attacked Israel. And so when we are weak, more people are then able to take advantage of us. But we also know that 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 affliction and suffering can come from supernatural forces. We know that, that God was bringing um, aspects of the affliction that Israel suffered on his own volition, and he was releasing protection that he had for Israel. And so God was also at work in a supernatural, unseen way that was bringing affliction upon Israel. We also know that there are satanic and demonic forces, dark spiritual beings. We see them throughout the Old and New Testament that also work in, against, our, against us in our minds, in our thoughts, bringing psychological and physical pain. We see throughout Scripture that, that the satanic, demonic influences would possess people. And so we have natural consequences. We have susceptibility because of our weakness for other people to take advantage of our weakness and we know that there are both good forces and evil forces at work that contribute to the affliction as well and we find ourselves in a place suffering this affliction these afflictions and several things can happen and I just want to mentioned too that that wheel brings up in this this article there are other things but i just want to kind of focus on two because this is where i think we find ourselves in a dangerous place if we're suffering affliction whatever its source we can find ourselves in these places the first one is a place of of hardening a place of hardening and discouragement she says affliction hardens and discourages because it imprints on the depth of the soul like a branding iron contempt disgust and even that repulsion of one's self that feeling of culpability and defilement and so this is really a description of this experience that i, th I think we all know we can get into this downward spiral of self-loathing and anger. Our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses have been exposed, 
we see no way out. Remember this, the, the, the affliction is enslaving, and it's affecting our, our social well-being. It's affecting our relationships. It's affecting our physical well-being. We are literally getting sick because of the, the pain that we are suffering, and it's affecting our, our psychological, our mental well-being. And every, so we feel just entirely enslaved and without power. We are under oppression. And we can put up barriers in our hardening. We can get hardened hearts and stiff necks are the phrases that, that the scriptures use here in the prophets. We can get hardened to any sort of efforts that are made to help us. That's a dangerous place to be. We can also become the second thing that we can, that we can the second lifestyle that we can get into or second place we can get into is, a, is, is, is that we even become an accomplice. We can become an accomplice to our affliction where we, we find ourselves in this state and we don't make any effort and we don't really want to make any effort to get out of it. She says that complicity hinders every effort they attempt towards improving their lot. They get to the point of preventing, themse preventing themselves from even searching for a way to be delivered. Sometimes even to the point of preventing the desire for deliverance. And so we can get to this place where we don't want to have anything to do with getting out of our affliction, which is, it sounds like a strange place to be, but I think if we were all honest with ourselves, we all can get into this place where um, we are so angry, we are so bitter, we've hardened ourselves, and we don't want out because we feel this place of power. This place of weakness feels like we've got actually a place of power because we've got accusations that we can level against others. We've got blame. We've, we, 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 we can play the victim card and we use it to justify bad behaviors. This is where, where addictions and transgressions come in. We, we get so wrapped up in the pain and suffering that we experience that we start to engage in further bad behaviors to bring us a place of comfort. And we like that and we want to stay there. So we are accomplices we are causing ourselves to be hurt even more in this state tim keller's that tim keller even explains that sometimes we can become so overwhelmed with our sin that the affliction that we are experiencing is actually something that we believe we deserve and we don't get out of it because we believe that we are guilty enough to continue to just let us suffer because um, somebody needs to take the consequences for what we've done and we deserve what we get. That's this place of affliction. As I thought about the conclusion of this sermon, you know, typically my approach, okay, I mean, those of you that know me, um, I, am, I am quick to figure out what the problem is and, and determine the strategy for resolving whatever the problem is and, and to get out of it. 
And I just didn't feel like that would be a good approach for a sermon on affliction. You know, next week we're going to look at what it means to repent. That's the next stage. Today we're at this place of, of emotional, social, and physical affliction. The text said that Ezekiel sat there for seven days. You know, and I, I thought about that. You know, I've, I have taken several two-day uh, fasting retreats where I felt like I really needed to hone in on um, something in my life. Um, one specific one, I, I was struggling with anger. This was, I think, maybe 10 or 12 years ago. And, I, and I, it was something I felt like I really needed to spend some time in the Word and in prayer thinking about this stranglehold of, that anger had on me. Um, and that was a very difficult two days. You know, I, I want to do something. And then if you're fasting, um, sometimes all you can think about is eating. <laughs> and I've done a three-day I've done a three-day fast and focus, and again, very difficult. And so I thought about seven days. You know, but then you think about Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. It seems to me that, that a message on this type of affliction with Ezekiel sitting there for seven days shouldn't just kind of conclude with a, with a clear explanation of what to do now to get out of the affliction. How long do we need to sit sometimes when we're in this state of affliction? Now, some of us never sit. We're always doing and never addressing, and the things that we find ourselves doing kind of placates the pain that we're in for a little while. Or a long while, we could go years just doing, 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 and never really resolving what's going on in our souls. Now, on the other hand, which we've kind of already talked about with some of these conditions that you can get in of being hardened or being an accomplice, sometimes we sit way too long. Sometimes we get so comfortable in our affliction and the victim status that it gives and a sense of power so it seems like we need to sit for a bit, and then next week we'll look at repentance. But rather than look at these steps to repentance now, I, I want to th- just end on what it would mean for us to draw, to draw nearer to God in the emotional states that we find ourselves in. And the last passage that Andrea read describes the condition that God was in, that God himself was in in the midst of this judgment that he was bringing upon Israel. He says, I have been broken over their whoring heart that has departed from me and over their eyes that go whoring after idols. And basically, God is saying that he has been watching. So if you could think of, think of a married couple 
And he is one person in the couple, and he, is, he has been watching his spouse pursue another lover for generations. Now, for those of you that are married or for those of you that aren't married, I think that you can kind of put yourself into that place. How long could you endure watching the person you've devoted your life to constantly betray you and pursue other people for their hearts, for their affections, for their bodies? God says that he was broken, and the word literally means that he felt God, God felt battered, oppressed, cracked. And, and, and one lexicon even says that, that his body felt like it had been ripped apart by a lion. So we see God expressing the emotional place where he was at. He was betrayed by his spouse. He was abandoned by his children for others. He was forsaken and left alone by those he pursued for relationship. So, you know, as I was thinking about that, um, I think if we think back to maybe our school years and maybe not to our school years, maybe recent, where we, we find ourselves kind of pursuing relationships, pursuing friendships, and people are always running away from us, and we're always that person isolated or alone. We're always that person sitting by themselves at the lunch table. That's what God felt like. And God was even ridiculed and blamed for the weaknesses and the sins of others. And this is, this is God expressing this in the Old Testament. This is God expressing this through a prophet to the nation of, of Israel. But this experience is magnified in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, any, any word or vision that they would have received in the Old Testament would have been Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Any, any expression that came out from God the Father who was spirit, any expression, verbal or, or visual, would have been a manifestation of Jesus Christ. But in the New Testament, the person of Jesus Christ actually comes. See, I think we can read about these sections in the Old Testament where there is no physical human manifestation of God, and God still feels kind of distant from us. So we can read that he's broken. But in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came, and he was broken, and we can see that he was broken, and he was a human being that the scriptures say suffered every affliction and temptation that we as humans do. Simone Weil says that someone struck by affliction is at the foot of the cross. And then she says this, it is near, it is near to the greatest distance possible from God. You know, I read that and it seems contradictory. How can, you know, when we think of being at the foot of the cross, we think of being close to Jesus, 
And she says that being at the foot of the cross right there with Jesus is near to the place where you're at the most distant from God. See, it, it, and I think she says that because it's, it's at the cross where Christ experienced the greatest degree of his suffering, the greatest degree of his affliction, the greatest degree of his agony. And it's at that point where God completely, in the midst of all of that physical pain, in the, in the midst of the, the abuse that they were throwing upon him, it's at that place where God forsook Jesus Christ. Just like God left the temple, as we saw in the judgment last week, God left Jesus Christ. And at that moment on the cross, Jesus Christ was the furthest distance from God than anyone has ever experienced. And Jesus had to experience it in his person in order to fully relate with us. And so this place of being at the cross while being nearer to the place of the greatest possible distance from God because of the immensity of the affliction that Jesus experienced. All right, so imagine you're at this place of the, the greatest affliction and suffering that you can have. And there's a decision to make. There's a decision to make, or there's a, there's, a, there's a place to arrive from an emotional standpoint. But it's upon recognition that that place where you are feeling the greatest distance is the recognition, just like Jesus, that you're also at the place where you are the closest. Affliction is a marvel of divine technique. I'm quoting her again. I'm heavily relying upon her insights for this sermon, as you can tell. The, the article's name is Affliction and the Love of God. Affliction is a marvel of divine technique. It is a simple and ingenious device that gains entry into the soul of a finite creature with immense force. It is blind, it is brutal, and it is cold. The infinite distance that separates God and the creature gathers everything into one point to pierce the soul at its center. And it's at that place where we are feeling the greatest amount of affliction and pain that we can come to know God as Jesus did. And that's really wanna, how I want to conclude this. We can stay in a place of hardening. We can stay in a place of discouragement. We can stay in a place of complicity, believing that we are so far away from God, we will never experience the peace and love that he desires for us. But see, it's at that place where we have the opportunity to, to surrender, to acknowledge the pain. I, I appreciated Deirdre's reading of that book this morning because it revealed that this, this very experience, our experiences of, of affliction and sadness and groaning and pain and suffering um, is acknowledging what what Christ came and died for and that what we, at human, we as humans experience and why we need God. And so if we find ourselves in this place of great affliction, this great distance from God, it's actually at that point where we can most easily find him. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you for really the... Uh, 
the, the, the beautiful picture of you being broken, you being broken for us and, and connecting with us in a way that we can relate to. You are not a God who stands distant and just casts judgment. You are a God that has experienced brokenness, ultimately in the person of Jesus, so that, that we who experience brokenness and affliction uh, can come to you for help. So God, we, we pray. We pray, God, for, for all of us at whatever various levels of suffering. And God, I know that in our, in our church we have people that are indeed suffering affliction, social, psychological, physical enslavement to some form of extreme suffering and pain. God, our, our prayer is that you would, by the sheer reality of your love and grace, that you, God, through your Holy Spirit, would shine that upon us as, as the Scriptures model for us. God, help us to know your love so it can pull us out of this, these places of affliction and we can enter into a walk with you of freedom. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.